All right, let's uh, let's open with prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you for this uh, beautiful day, for this opportunity we have to come together to worship you as a body, those who are members of Christ, and uh, Lord, as we get to uh, to study the life of Christ and to see the the various things He did and, and taught and the interactions with. The, the people around him and Lord I just pray that it would be instructive that we would meditate on these things that we would just uh, have a, a clearer view of, of your nature of your heart uh, through uh, what you have done in history and uh, Lord that our love for you would grow and uh, God that we would uh, attempt to uh, to walk in the in the ways that you have laid out for us through this encouragement that we have uh, through the life of Christ. And just pray these things in his name. Amen. All right. So we are continuing our study of uh, the uh, the life of Jesus. Um, we are still in Galilee. Uh, this is the, the third lesson on uh, Jesus' ministry in Galilee. Uh, when we left off, we saw... Uh, Jesus uh, traveling around the towns of Galilee with his disciples, uh, teaching and performing miracles. Uh, they were drawing bigger and bigger crowds, uh, but they were also encountering uh, opposition from some of the uh, religious leaders. And so there was some, some tension going on, and just news about Jesus was just spreading everywhere. And everywhere he went, there were just crowds of people. So as we pick up this morning... Um, Jesus um, returns to his hometown. And so just looking in uh, Matthew uh, chapter 13, uh, beginning in verse 54, it says, And coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogue, uh, so that they were astonished and said, uh, Where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And are not his uh, not all his sisters with us? Uh, where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. And he did not do uh, many mighty works there because of their unbelief. So why do you think that uh, that the people responded to Jesus this way? I mean, it's not exactly the response he's been getting from uh, from Galilee as a whole. Why do you think that uh, the people were responding to Jesus this way in Nazareth? I think it might have something to do with what people's perceptions of what they expect from a prophet okay. or from uh, mighty works of God. They expect it to be like you know, something supernatural. But like, we we've watched him grow up. He's, we've seen him at the marketplace and doing normal everyday things. Right. You know, how could this possibly be? Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I think that's where it's coming from. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He's uh, it's like they they've known him you know since he was a small boy. So, um, hopping over to uh, to Luke's account of this in in chapter four verse twenty three, uh, get a little extra piece here um, says and he said to them doubtless you will quote to me uh, this proverb physician heal yourself what you have heard uh, what we have heard you did in Capernaum do in your hometown as well and then Jesus recounts uh, the miraculous blessings on Gentiles in the Old Testament uh, even though there were plenty of widows and lepers in Israel um but why do you think that Jesus responded to the people the way that he did? Any thoughts? They're looking for um, they're looking for uh, miracles. They're looking for things to happen before they all put their faith in, before mm-hmm. they believe. And yeah. it seems that uh, Jesus is requiring the opposite. Right. Yeah. Yeah, they're, they they want to see they want to see the fancy stuff, um, and I mean at this point Jesus is just is just teaching them, um, and you know 
in a sense, Jesus is saying this is this is the way that Israel has been. Um, it's like they have just been so demanding of God, so eager to test God, um, and that God in the past has just gone and performed his miraculous signs to Gentiles, to people who were outside of Israel. Um, interestingly, um, the people don't really like Jesus' response very much. Uh, verse 28, uh, when they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath, and they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, so that they could throw him down the cliff. But, passing through their midst, he went away. So, presumably this is something somewhat miraculous, because it's like... <laughs> You know, I mean, it doesn't it doesn't explain exactly how he avoided getting pitched off the cliff. Um, it's but, an understated miracle. Yeah. You don't just walk away from an angry mob. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, but they were they were so mad they were um, you know they were ready to kill him uh, just because they they you know I think they probably had you know very much a Jewish centric we're the people of God the Gentiles are the are the dirty dogs um, you know and Jesus is just pointing out that that's not really the way that God works in history um, and they're just not very happy with him so so the situation's escalating right I mean we've already seen like you know, uh, from I think a, a couple lessons ago, you know, the Pharisees are plotting against Jesus because he's refuting, refuting them, and um, so it's like he's he's getting lots of lots of popularity, but there's also just various people that are not real happy with him. Um, then in in Luke chapter nine, uh, beginning in verse one, it says, and he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over the demons, over all demons, and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. So here we have the the sending out of the twelve, um, and so they're going out through the the various towns of Galilee, and they're continuing this um, this message uh, that Jesus is teaching, and even including the miraculous signs. So what does it mean about Jesus' power and authority when we see that, um, you know, that this this account here of what's going on? Could Jesus just be a charlatan? I mean, I know that, like, we don't we here don't believe that, obviously, but just if you consider the the mentality of the people that are interacting with Jesus are still wrestling with who is this guy um, could he be a charlatan who's just really good at magic tricks fooling people no I, I don't I don't agree well obviously right like you said we, we come from right. the perspective that yeah, we don't believe that <laughs> I don't I don't believe so um, I mean they're always commenting on how he's speaking with such authority. Mm -hmm. And I wouldn't even be surprised if that's how he walked away from that angry crowd, because when he spoke, mm -hmm. it, it, people couldn't help but listen or, right. under, or obey, even. Mm -hmm. yes. um, even like when it, when he's in Gethsemane, when the Judas had betrayed him. Mm -hmm. I mean, he talks about, you know, he, he's asking, who was it? Who are you looking for? Mm -hmm. And they, they, they fall back onto mm -hmm. the ground. How right. does an angry mob of people that are here to arrest you right. with sticks and clubs and torches, mm -hmm. all of a sudden they're all, they've, mm -hmm. they're knocked over on the ground. Yeah. I mean, he spoke with such authority and such yeah. power and his, and uh, the miracles that he did perform were not ones that are right. easily yeah. uh, fabricated. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, but even then, like, if you're, if you are just doing tricks, it's like, can you give that power to a whole bunch of other people? I mean, you, you got you got these twelve guys, and they're going around, and they're casting out demons, they're they're healing the sick, um, you know. Unless he's just like a really good teacher at teaching them all his charlatan ways, it's like this is somebody who actually has power, yeah. and he's granting it to other people. Exactly, because the, even if they were tricks, it would be something that you would have to coordinate in advance mm -hmm. and have staged, mm -hmm. and have yeah, and, right. And so it's not something that just can happen mm -hmm. spontaneously in different right. places where that is the case. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, 
So Jesus is he he has um, the ability to to delegate his power and authority and to give it to his disciples. Um, so now we have a dozen men traveling around Galilee, uh, teaching and performing miracles in the name of Jesus. So as far as like the the situation, what, what should we expect at this point? We've already seen like what's happened just with Jesus going around teaching and, and healing and performing various miracles. What do you think is going to happen when there's 12 of them doing it? It's probably going to probably going to blow up a little more, isn't it? Um, and that's and that is what we see. Um, Luke continues, uh, chapter nine, verse seven. Now. Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was happening. So this is this is Herod Antipas's uh, area. This is where he rules, is, is in Galilee. And he's hearing about all this stuff that's happening. Uh, and says, and he was perplexed because it was said by some that John had risen from the dead, uh, by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. And Herod said, John, I beheaded. Yeah, John, I beheaded. But who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him. So what types of things are people saying about Jesus? Wow, he's a really good teacher. Some sort of prophet? Yeah, prophet. Yeah. He is the power of God is with him. Yeah. To to equate him with Elijah. uh, Yeah. saying saying quite a lot. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they're kind of just like searching for like well, who is this guy this is this is not just some teacher you know and also on top of that to, to the Jewish people were expecting Elijah's return mm-hmm. they were because that would, Elijah would come again before mm-hmm. the, the end so to speak mm-hmm. you know and so they were all waiting and to, for people to be talking that Elijah's return is you know that's that's saying a lot. The kingdom of God is at hand. The, mm-hmm. the end of times have come. Kind of a thing is, I think, their perspective on this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They they have the prophecies of Elijah coming. They have various prophecies of, I mean, of, of the Christ, of, of a prophet coming. Um, you know, the the one that Moses gives, and and so it's you know it's they have all these things, and they're they're not just viewing it as like, oh, there's this, there's a great teacher. It's like this is somebody really special. This is. Uh, this is something um, supernatural. So they're trying to figure out who he, re- who he is. They recognize there's something uh, supernatural about him. So what's what's Herod's reaction to this? He's confused, and he wants to see him himself. Yeah, he's confused. He wants to see for himself. Um, Matthew gives us another little insight here. Um, Matthew 14, verses 1 and 2. It says, At that time Herod the Tetrarch heard about the fame of Jesus, uh, and he said to his servants, This is John the Baptist. He has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. So this is kind of what what Herod you know, pens down. Why do you think that Herod went with this interpretation? I mean, we can only really speculate, but... Guilty conscience. Guilty conscience. I mean, that's, that's, that's kind of what I think that's most likely, is that, like, you know, Herod did not want to to kill John the Baptist. You know, it was kind of... He got cornered into it. He got cornered into it, and uh, and I think it's bothering him, and he's like, oh, my goodness, this is... This is he's come back from the dead. So, uh, definitely, things are stirring. Um now, in uh, Matthew uh, chapter 14 again, uh, being in verse 13, um, now when Jesus heard this, uh, the death of, of John is what it's referring to in the context. He hears about the, you know, that John had been executed, uh, and this is you know right around the time also that Herod is hearing about Jesus. Um, anyway, uh, when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there uh, in a boat to a desolate place by himself. Uh, but when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. Uh, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. 
Now when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the day is over now. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But he said, uh, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. And they said to him, We have only five loaves here and two fish. And he said, Bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down uh, on the grass, and taking the five loaves and two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about five thousand men, besides women and children. So this is well-known passage, the feeding of the five thousand. Um, but I think it's, it's, it's helpful to look at it in context of like what's going on at the actual time that this happens. Um, so, so how did Jesus react to the death of John the Baptist? What did he do when he heard that John the Baptist had been executed? So he, he, he withdrew, he left... Uh, to be in a desolate place essentially by himself. I mean, it, it, it doesn't explicitly say he went to mourn, but mm-hmm. it could be easily inferred okay. that he was in mourning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He certainly went away to a desolate place, right? He's like, he's kind of going away. He's been like going through all the towns of Galilee and like drawing all sorts of crowds, but now he's he's kind of withdrawing. Um, how did the... Uh, the people react when Jesus took a boat across the lake because I mean that's the way he left. He got in a boat and headed off to go to a shore that would take him to a desolate place. How did the people react? Let's go with him. Yeah, yeah. They just they just like walked around the lake. You know, this is you know, yeah. It's I mean you know this is we're basically on the north side of the Sea of Galilee here, and you know if you you think of the map, you know, it's like here's the Sea of Galilee, and they're over here. And Jesus basically takes a boat over here to, you know, from basically like the northwest to the northeast side of the Sea of Galilee. And they just, you know, they just go ahead and do the circuit of the north end of, of uh, the Sea of Galilee and, you know, and beat him there. Um, and when Jesus saw the people uh, had followed him, uh, why didn't he simply just push off and find another place to land? Yeah, he had compassion on them, right? Um, I mean, obviously he wanted to, to get away, have some time alone with his disciples, uh, but, I mean, here we see the compassion of God for uh, the people that um, that are coming to him. And obviously, great miracle here, uh, the, the, the feeding of the 5,000, um, doing something that just just humanly impossible to feed so many people with so little food. Um, John here um, also has a lot to say about this incident. Um, John chapter 6, verse 15, um, kind of at the end of of this time when he had fed them, um, it says, uh, Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force and make him king, Jesus withdrew again, to the mountain by himself. So, how are the how are the people reacting to Jesus at this point? They uh, they're like these miracles are so awesome. You're you're king. Yeah, yeah. They're just they're ready to make him king. I mean, you know, I, and I'm sure they understand the implications because they're under the the dominion of the Roman Empire. Uh, they can't just make a new king. They're, they're trying to force upon him their understanding of what the Messiah should be. Yeah, and that was that's actually my next question. Is like, what what misunderstanding does this reveal? What what is it that they're thinking? Well, that by making him their king, that he will save them from mm-hmm. Rome. Yeah, yeah. That's I mean, that's kind of their view, isn't it? Is I mean, that's I mean, we know that that's kind of like the prevailing view of the day. Is it's like they they think that the Messiah is going to come. And is going to cast off the yoke of the of the Roman Empire, and you know restore the kingdom like it was in the days of David and Solomon. And to be fair, there is some historical precedent for that. Uh-huh, yeah. With what God has done in the past, raising up these kings. Mm-hmm, right. Armies coming against them vastly superior to their own. Mm-hmm, yeah. 
yeah, God has God has uh, multiple times delivered His people in a very physical, this world kind of way um, throughout history. Now, if we if we understand, um, you know, the whole scope of biblical history, uh, you know, we understand that, like, to a large degree, that was a you know types and shadows of the real redemption that Jesus would bring uh, when He came uh, to Earth, and so. Obviously, there's the spiritual realities. Um, I mean, this is you know this is one of the big themes of the Gospels is the people are thinking the things in very physical, earthly terms of God coming and restoring this earth, um, the the kingdom physically defeating their physical enemies, um, and in a sense, the the gospel writers, Jesus, the apostles. Uh, I mean, the apostles are confused about this early, but later they're teaching these things, you know, that really like the enemy that has to be defeated is Satan. The enemy that has to be defeated is sin. Uh, these are the things that have to be overcome. That's the ultimate victory. Um, and so the the physical liberation is, is really just a picture of that. Um, and so, you know, we see that like the, the people think that this is well. This is just another it's another physical deliverance that we're looking for, um, but that's really not what's going on. Um, so returning to Matthew's account, um, Matthew chapter fourteen, beginning in verse twenty-two. Uh, immediately uh, he made the disciples uh, get into the boat and go before him to the other side, uh, while he dismissed the crowds. And after. He dismissed the crowds. He went up uh, on the mountain by himself to pray. And that's what John had told us. Uh, when evening came, he was there alone. But the boat uh, by this time was a long way from land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. Uh, and in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Uh, he said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying, O oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. So, here again, another famous account, uh, Jesus walking on the water. Um, what, I mean, obviously, you know, great miracle is like, people don't, you know, don't do this. I remember one time talking to uh, an atheist who said, well, maybe he was just like, you know, walking on stones or something that were just, you know, just below the water. But it's like, well, that's, it doesn't really work if you're walking across the Sea of Galilee. <laughs> so, um, but, uh, so, we see this happen here. What what reactions do we see from the disciples? We actually see kind of, you know, multiple reactions from them. What, what, what's going on in the disciples' minds? How are they reacting to this? Well, I mean, I mean, fear. Fear. Yeah, that's the first reaction. They're having trouble comprehending a man walking across the water to them. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's assumed, well, it's not a man, it's a ghost. Right. Yeah. And, and it's interesting, this is also, this is after Jesus has already calmed the storm, it looks like. Mm -hmm. Um, when he was sleeping and he woke up and you know, yeah, he yeah, he'd already he'd already been on the boat and calmed the storm. So he's yeah. shown that he can control the winds and the waves and stuff, mm -hmm. but yet it's just taking it to another level uh -huh. at this point. Yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, it just if you just think about like what it must have been like to just like be with Jesus and just like just one after another after another these great things and it's just like and it's like they they still like you know. At, to, I think to some degree we look we look at it and we're like why didn't they get it you know but it's like I'm not sure that we would have gotten it either you know it's it's just it's like one thing after another he's doing that is just amazing and they're just always just like shocked it's like how is this possible so 
Was it? Did you have anything else there, Ben, or was that? Well, uh, I mean, I guess it does like that one and the uh, and the other miracle with the storm reminds me of Jonah mm-hmm. um, and how God stills the waves, and it's very specifically talked about how it's only God who can do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, as you see at the end of this miracle, they say, "Truly, He is the Son of God." Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's. I mean, that's that's the their final reaction there, right? Is they they worship Him um, and they say. This is this is the son of God. Um, we also see some some faith expressed here, right? I mean, Peter, you know, gets past the fear and has a has a moment of great of great trust. And he's like, you know, it wasn't even that Jesus said, "Hey, Peter, why don't you step out?" It was Peter's like, you know, he's like, "I believe that you're powerful enough to do this. If you let me come out, then I can do this." Um, but then, of course, he doubts again. So um, I, I can't imagine actually like trying to walk on water and like finding that it works. And it's like, wow, you know. I, I imagine I would probably probably uh, not believe it myself for a moment there. But but you know, his his faith returns and he cries out to Jesus, is like, you're the person who can save me. So um, all sorts of reactions here. Um, this, you know, but the disciples are just—they're getting more and more of a picture of like who Jesus is, um, and he hasn't yet asked them, "Who do you think that I am?" But that's coming up pretty soon. Um, so they get to the other side. Um, going back to uh, to John uh, chapter six, beginning in verse twenty-two. On the next day, uh, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea. Uh, saw that there had been only one boat there, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, uh, but that the disciples had gone away alone. Other boats uh, from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread uh, after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. And they found him on the other side of the sea. Uh, They said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Now this opens up a, a very lengthy passage in John uh, that, uh, you know, we... It's variously it's it's called various things, but I mean it's the, it's the discourse on the bread of life. Um, I'm sure that that uh, you guys are at least somewhat familiar with this. It's a great section where you, there's all sorts of things we learn from it, but we can't go into it in detail. But um, but just looking at, at what we've seen here, what what was uh, what was wrong with what the crowd was doing? What was what was going on with them? They saw that he could feed them, and so it, it's, it was very much a, you can meet my needs right now, mm-hmm. It's and nothing beyond. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't it wasn't even because of the signs we read. You know, it wasn't even just that this guy's doing miracles. It's like, wow, he can, we can, we can just follow him, and he'll keep us fed. Um, and I, you know... I, I've seen some people suggest that you know they were also thinking in terms of you know they'd already like you know sought to make him king like well ma- you know maybe he could he could feed the army you know it's like how how are the Romans going to beat us when he can feed the army um, so whether it was specifically for military purposes or not they were concerned about filling their bellies that was that was why they were interested in Jesus um, and of course. Um, what what's Jesus's response? What how does he react to their their focus on meeting their physical needs here? Pointing to the spiritual reality beyond that. Yeah, yeah, he's he's pointing to the spiritual reality beyond that, and that's you know that's what a large section, a large a large portion of this discussion. Um, in John six is about is that it's you know the spiritual realities that's what what matters it's it's not the bread that that I can you know make for you miraculously that you eat it's 
it's me. I'm the bread of life. Um, that's what you should be after. Um, and he goes through this this long discourse, um, and then um, in uh, in verse 66, uh, after this, many of many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So they they had a problem with some of the things that Jesus were saying. They're like, yeah, we're not going to follow this guy anymore. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered, uh, answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. So why do you think that Jesus uh, asked this question of his disciples? I, I see it as more of a testing and seeking a confirmation of the faith of, mm-hmm. of their faith. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he just giving them that opportunity to express that confirmation. Yeah, he he had, he had just given some very hard teaching, um, and people were leaving, and yeah, and he was just like laying it out there and seems like, will you continue to believe in me? Um, why do you think that uh, Peter answered the question? Uh, well, actually, why do you think that Peter answered with the question that he did? I mean, he didn't just give an answer. He answered with a question. I, mean, I, I think it's going off the assumption, like, who, who else is there that has the word of God? Mm-hmm. Who else is there that could be the Messiah? You are clearly performing the signs. You are clearly from God. Mm-hmm. Only God has this power. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's I mean, in a sense you look at it it's like okay, yeah, you're saying some some tough things and you know, things haven't been like great necessarily at every point of this journey we've been having, but it really doesn't matter because you've got the words of eternal life. It's like where else are we going to go? You know, this it's uh it's work. Um how can we apply Peter's words to our own lives? Any thoughts? Is it hard to be a Christian sometimes? It's a strong reminder and a refocusing yeah. of where the true source of our nourishment, where we should be mm-hmm. seeking yeah. in Christ alone. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Yeah, I mean, it's like, that's, I mean, like, everything in this world, you know, as, as good or bad as it might be, um, it's ultimately going to pass away. Um, eternal life, that's, Jesus has the eternal life. Um, he has the words of eternal life. So where else are we going to go? That's, that's definitely what we should, what our minds should be on, who we should follow. Continuing on here, um, Matthew 15, beginning in verse 21, and Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. Uh, and behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. Uh, my daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Excuse me. Um, But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that uh, fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. So, first question here: um, Where is Tyre and Sidon? Does anybody know their their geography well enough to know? They're on the coast, aren't they? Yeah, they're on the coast. But that's through Samaria. What's that? Isn't it through Samaria? It's actually north of Galilee, northwest of Galilee. So it's. it's kind of it's kind of outside of Galilee. Um, kind of where modern day Le- Le- Lebanon is. I think so. I don't know my 
my modern day geography well enough, <laughs> I'm afraid. Um, but uh, but it's like, but if you if you consider like the the geographical boundaries of the day, that's that's like that's like a past Galilee. Um, so Jesus here has even left Galilee. Um, think there might be any significance to that? Word is spreading about what he's doing. Mm-hmm. So people are coming from out of out of Galilee and Israel and coming to him. Yeah, yeah. He's 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 caused quite a stir, and there's lots of people that are following him. And so, um, you know, we saw that he already was seeking a desolate place um, over on the on the northeast shore of Galilee, and well, now he's or on the northeast shore of the of the, the Sea of Galilee. Um, and now he's up northwest of Galilee. So, um, and and we're going to kind of see that as we go on that he's he's no longer focusing on the center of, of Galilee anymore. He's kind of he's kind of going to the outskirts. Um, but this event happens while he's there. Um, why do you think that Jesus responded to the woman the way that he did? I mean, this is this is one of those passages that people often like look at and scratch their heads. It's like, why is Jesus saying these things? Um, why do you think that Jesus responded to the woman the way he did? It's not time for the gospel to come to the Gentiles. I'm sorry? It's not time for the gospel to come to the Gentiles. Not time for the gospel to come to the Gentiles? Okay. I think that might be a part of it. When we, um, I mean, do, do we think that um, that Jesus might be, well, uh, I don't want to say this. Uh, consider what we what we talked about. Um, I think it was last lesson um, where uh, we had the uh, the centurion, right? It's not not a Jew, um, and Jesus healed his servant. Um, it's almost like he's hinting at something more. Yeah, that and there's then, more to this. Yeah, and and you know today we looked at when he was in Nazareth, he made some comments right about God being merciful to Gentiles. Um, I mean, could we look at it and say that Jesus is just like anti uh, non-Jewish people that he's you know that he has some kind of racist views towards people who aren't Jews no it's interesting I think that Jesus like when she comes Jesus doesn't actually like send her away he just kind of doesn't do anything any idea why he might have done that before she even like comes and actually speaks to him what happens when he does that? The disciples react. Mm-hmm. The disciples react. They're like, hey, get rid of this woman. It's an object lesson for them. Mm-hmm. It's, it's bringing something out. I think it is. Now, when we look at um, the fact that you know his, his response uh, to her initially is um, it's, it's not right to to give, you know, to the dogs what's what's for the children. And I think what Ben mentioned uh, is is true here that it's like it's not really time for the gospel to be going to the Gentiles at this point. Um, what about the uh, the woman's response? Why is that? Why does Jesus commend her for her response to this? She understands the priority. It seems like, and but realizes that. You know, there's there's been Gentiles who mm-hmm. have come into the fold of right. Israel yeah. um, before now. It's uh, it's been few and far between, but yeah. God yeah. let those scraps fall off the table. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, she. I mean, she understands. You know, something of, of the history and the fact that God is is willing to give blessing to non-Jewish people. Is there any similarities between her response and the response of the centurion? I mean, what was the big thing about the centurion's response? His response was just faith of "I know you will." I mean, it's you don't need to come with me. Uh-huh. It, it was it was a complete faith. Uh-huh. 
Just if you said it's going to be done, it's going to be done. Right. So it's like you don't even have to come. It's yes. like I think you're that powerful. You don't even have to come. Is there any parallel to what the uh, what this woman's response is? Can we look at it and say she's saying, "Look, I don't need anything special from you. You're you're so powerful. Even the crumbs will take care of my problem." You know, and I, I mean, I think that's kind of what's going on. I mean, maybe I'm mistaken there, but I think it's, and I, I mean, I think that Jesus was was drawing that response out of her and was, you know, giving the disciples a lesson here. Um, so, you know, that's why it can look like he's, you know, being very cruel to this woman, but he's drawing that out of her that just like, look, I don't, I don't need the the full blessings that you have for Israel here. Just the crumbs is, I mean, you're, there's so much goodness and great power here that even your crumbs are going to help me. So it might, uh, Exercising a demon from a distance mm-hmm. might seem like a large work for us. Right. Um, or to us, I mm-hmm. should say, but for him it's, right. yeah. it's nothing. Right. And she, she had an amazing insight into this that it's like, yeah, it's, this is going to be nothing for you. So... Um, going on from there, um, Mark uh, chapter 7, verse 31, uh, Then he returned from the region of Tyre uh, and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. Does anybody know where the Decapolis is? What's that? Uh-huh, yeah, it's over on the east side of the Sea of Galilee. So, here, Jesus, again, is like moving kind of on the outskirts of Galilee and moves over onto the east side of, of, uh, of Galilee, where the ten towns are, the Decapolis. Um, and, uh, and they brought to him a man who was deaf uh, and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay hands on him, and uh, taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears, and after spitting... Uh, touched his tongue, and looking up to heaven, he sighed and said, uh, something like that, I'm not sure, uh, that is, be opened, and his ears were opened, uh, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly, and Jesus charged them to tell no one, uh, but the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it, and they were astonished beyond measure, saying, he has done all things well, he even makes the deaf hear, and the mute speak. So, we see, you know, Jesus is, um, you know, once again, he's he's not really going where he was going before. He's kind of on the outskirts now. Um, has Jesus been able to escape the crowds? No. No. <laughs> they're, they're still they're still there. He's he's okay. He's now he's over in the you know he was up in tired side and now he's over to the capitalist. He's still um, the crowds are just still there. Um, and of course, Jesus, he's still healing people. And what does he tell them? Well, he told them, don't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone. This is, as we watch up to this point, he keeps telling everyone, don't tell anyone, don't. Mm-hmm. And it's gotten to the point where just the person who was healed was saying, was telling people to, now the entire crowd is telling everyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what? How, do, how does the crowd respond when Jesus is saying, don't tell anyone? What's that? I'm sorry, I still didn't catch that. They continue to do it. Yeah, they continue to do it. They're just they're just doing it uh, all the more. They're more zealously proclaiming it. So, as as much as he tries to um, you know tell people, hey, like stop spreading this around. It's like they just keep doing it more and more. Um, continuing on, uh, Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. Uh, now, when Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi, which, I'll, again, I'll point out, is up north away from the Sea of Galilee. So, um, once again, he's not central in Galilee anymore. He's he's kind of moved out to the outskirts. Um, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. 
And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. So, um, at this point, the disciples have been traveling with Jesus for at least a couple years. Um, Why do you think that Jesus waited this long um, to ask the disciples who they think he is? Kind of let them see full range in some ways of what he can accomplish. So there is even more he's going to show here just a little bit. Uh, and also what he said. They've kind of gotten the full weight of it in a lot of Yeah. Times. Like, yeah, I mean, impression? I, I mean, you know, you, you think of like, you know, some of the disciples, you know, met Jesus just, you know, shortly after he'd been baptized, you know, and John introduced them. Um, and, you know, Jesus could have just like, you know, just like, I mean, you know, some of them were even saying who they thought he was. Uh, you know, Jesus could have just like really like demanded like, hey, do you, do you believe in me? Do you think I'm, do you think I'm the Christ? Uh, but instead, he he basically waited until he'd been with them for a very long time, and they had lots of his teaching and lots of examples of his miracles. Um, and that's when he finally said, hey, who do you think that I am? Um, also, there's the, the culmination of his earthly ministry. Uh, things are coming to a close in, mm-hmm. in the near future. Yeah. I think that might have some reason, some part of it is... Yeah. No. Yeah, we're, we're, we're coming to the close of, of the Galilean ministry, and he's going to be heading straight for Jerusalem. Um, he's going to have some time ministering there, but it's like things are things are coming to their climax right now. So um, things are definitely changing. Um, and in light of that, um, Jesus continues here. Uh, it says in verse 21, From that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. So up to this point, Jesus had not told his disciples what would happen to him. Um, You know, they've seen his miracles, they've heard his teaching, but this is the first time he's telling them, look, I'm going to go and get crucified. Um, So what does Peter's reaction show about, you know, what Peter's expectations were? For who, I mean, you know, Peter just said, you're, you're the Christ. And Jesus is like, yes, that's, that's correct. You get, you got the right answer. Um, we're not overthrowing the Romans yet. <laughs> what's that? We're not overthrowing the Romans. That's what Peter, I think, is expecting. Still. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's yeah. still very much in line with the popular uh-huh. the right. Jews. Yeah, yeah. His, I mean, the idea that like, okay, okay, you're, you're the, you're the Christ. You're the one who is to come. You're saying you're gonna, you're gonna be mistreated and and killed. Um, and I think that even, <laughs> yeah, I think even, uh, I think even right up to the end, because if I remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, mm-hmm. it was Peter mm-hmm. who drew his sword mm-hmm. and yep. was ready to start yeah. fighting. Yeah, they they really didn't get it. I mean, it's it's actually like fitting that like we just had Resurrection Sunday uh, last week, and Pastor Rick mentioned, you know, that like that they were told these things over and over again, and even after Jesus rose from the dead, they still don't believe it. They're still like, oh gosh, we we thought he was we thought he was the Christ. We thought he was going to deliver Israel. Um, you know, they're saying that specifically to Jesus himself. You know, not really getting it. So all these things, um, you know, from from this time onward, Jesus just repeatedly tells them these things are going to happen, and they just don't get it. Now afterwards, they remember. He kept telling us these things, uh, but they didn't get it. It just did not meet their expectations. Um, 
and uh, I think that's also um, just a good uh, a good reminder for us as we go through various things in this life where uh, things don't go the way we expect, and we, we think, well, how can how can this be according to God's plan? How does this advance God's kingdom? Um, and I think we need to we need to remember that um, God doesn't necessarily accomplish His glory the way that we expect that He will. Um, and so we need to we need to have the 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 mind of God in what we're doing, and not not the mind of man and think, well, it has to be done this way. This is, this is the way that makes sense to me. Because God often does things a bit differently than we expect. Let's see if we can get through the last couple things here before we run out of time. Uh, Transfiguration. Um, Mark chapter 9, beginning in verse 2. After six days he took, them, or he took with him Peter and James and John and led them to the high mountain by themselves. Uh, and he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah and Moses, and they were uh, talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them. And a voice came out of the cloud, This is my beloved son, listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with him, but Jesus only. As they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. And then also, um, something we see in uh, Luke's account Luke 9, 30 and 31. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. So there's just a little insight of like what they were actually talking to Jesus about. Um, so here, you know, Jesus's glory is revealed to these disciples. Um One thing that, that comes up, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask the question just because I'm curious what people will say, but like from what I've seen, it's a it's a something that it's hard to actually come to a, an answer. Uh, why do you think it was Moses and Elijah that he was speaking to? The law and the prophets is what I think. They okay. represent the law and the prophets. Okay, that's a that's a possibility. Um, any other thoughts? Oh, we uh, oftentimes. Well, we just saw when when uh, Jesus asked, "Who do you think I am?" Mm-hmm. And some said uh, Moses, Elijah, mm-hmm. uh, John the Baptist, and it's it's kind of saying, "No, I'm I'm not mm-hmm. either of these people." Right? Yeah. Yeah. It could be could be showing them. It's like, no, he's he's none of them. He's he's uh, he's Christ. There are two of the people that loom largest. Sorry, said there, there are two of the people that loom largest uh-huh. from the Old Testament times, and right. Jesus is greater than these. Yeah. Kind of comparison with yeah, they they did they definitely were two of the people that loomed largest in the Old Testament, and so yeah, because Jesus is greater. He talks about the law and the prophets all point towards Christ, mm-hmm. and they are there they are, mm-hmm. subservient to him, talking to him, attending to him, discussing yeah. his. Uh, coming ascension mm-hmm. and yeah. de- you know departure. Yeah. Um, another thing that I've heard mentioned is um, when you think about it, uh, there were exactly two people in the Old Testament who uh, had this opportunity where they got to, in a sense, see God. Um, where uh, Moses wanted to see uh, God's glory, and you know he was put in the cleft of the rock and and God passed by him and then Elijah had a very similar experience um, so uh, there's various debates and, and discussions about exactly why it was but it's um, certainly you know a significant thing and you look at it um, Jesus is once again telling them about what's going to happen to him right and they're still just puzzled um, they're questioning what rising from the dead might mean. 
Now, I mean, it's interesting. Sometimes Jesus says things and they take him really literally and they shouldn't. Like uh, there's a time when he says, beware of the leaven or the uh, the yeast of the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they're like, oh, well, it's because it's we didn't bring any bread. So they're thinking very literally. And he's like, no, I'm talking about the teaching. Um, and here it's like he's speaking very literally about his resurrection. And they're like, I don't know what he means. What, is, what does resurrection mean? So that's kind of interesting. Um Going on, uh, as we are almost out of time here, um, Mark 9, beginning in verse 30, and they went on from there and passed through Galilee, uh, and he did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days, he will rise. Uh, but they did not understand the saying and were afraid to ask him. So this is at least the third time that Jesus speaking, speaks to his disciples about these things. And again, their reaction is they just don't understand. Um, and Jesus spends a little bit of time in Capernaum uh, doing some more miracles and, and a little bit more teaching. Um, and... Uh, there's uh, an interesting thing here where the uh, uh, they, they come to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. Um, so, again, just uh, for time's sake, just to summarize this, again, I think it's, you know, they're just misunderstanding what it's supposed to be when the Christ comes. They're thinking about an earthly kingdom and their place in it. Um, so they're just still not really getting it. Um, but after spending a short time in Capernaum, uh, Luke chapter 9, verse 51 says, uh, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And so at this point, then he begins going back south towards Jerusalem, uh, which brings the, um, the the Galilean ministry to a close. And so... Uh, when we when we pick up next week, we'll we'll continue on from there. Any final thoughts or questions? Uh, one thought, going back to when you the crowds were all following him, and we were talking about what their motivations were. That also could have been a motivation for many. Besides just he's feeding us, he's. But you also mentioned armies feeding armies mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. political position, mm-hmm. power. I'm I'm following him and where. Yeah. In this new regime that's going to be coming, where do, where can I fit in? Yeah. How can I position myself? Yeah. That could have been something they were thinking. Yeah, that's. From. I mean, that's something that we see throughout history, right? Is mm-hmm. the, like when somebody, you know, kind of is on the rise and becoming more and more of a popular person and, and being a leader, lots of people will try to jump on that bandwagon and mm-hmm. and try to you know position themselves so that they will be in a good spot when everything comes about. So. There probably was a lot of that going on, um, and the disciples are kind of like, "Yeah, we got on this on the ground floor. We're, you know, we're going to be the top." Yeah, you know, it's yeah, like, yeah. So yeah, that's a good point. Anything else? All right. Well, let's uh, let's close with prayer. Heavenly Father, my God, just what a what a privilege it is to to read your word to see um, your interaction. Uh, with people um, to see uh, the Son of God uh, as He walks on this earth and shows us what a perfect man is and His compassion to those in need, His dedication to uh, accomplishing the mission that He was sent for, um, His insight into uh, what people are thinking and what they need to hear to to see their own misunderstandings and failings. And uh, God, you are just so wise and so gentle with us. And God, I just pray that you would continue to work in us uh, to make us uh, be disciples who, uh, who walk after you, who live as we should. Uh, and God, I pray that uh, you would just... Uh, stoke in our hearts a, a great love for you, a great uh, compassion for our fellow man, and uh, God, just a, a trust and reliance that you will accomplish your good purpose, and that we that we need not concern ourselves when uh, things seem to be going uh, in a way that we don't think um, 
is going to accomplish your will, but to know that you are sovereign, that you are accomplishing your will. And um, God, I just pray that we would continue this morning in our worship uh, of you in a way that is pleasing to you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.